0: Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 179. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics.
1: Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself.
0: Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay, and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free
2: bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Hat for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Ridge, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack, and Little Audrey—you read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions: *The Best of Harveyville Fun Times* and *The Harvey Comic Companion*. Both are available from Amazon. The companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today.
1: Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch.
2: Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down and a songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family's savings on a multi-seat tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. This changed the fortune for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Sinai Disc Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today.
0: As the pandemic is now lifting somewhat, I am making more personal appearances at shows in Oregon and California. Check my Facebook page as to where I might be next, usually working with Lee's Comics. I'm getting closer to finishing my Mad and My Turtles books. Another Monkeys book is on the horizon, as well as a book about TV animation studios. And look for more articles from me in Back Issue, Alter Ego, and Hogan's Alley, and various guest appearances on other podcasts, including those by Ed Rising, Hudson Ranny, Dennis Ball, Phil Hall, and others. My Pac Man book is my latest release, coming out this month of September 2022. Look for my Disney book and my Warren Kramer book coming soon. On today's show, we have a guest who runs his own animation restoration and distribution company called Thunderbean, along with our returning resident animation expert from Jerry Beck's Cartoon Research. Here they are, Steve Stanchfield and Camden Spees, Part 1. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with the Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have two guests. I have Camden Spees, who's a columnist for Jerry Beck, and he's been on the show many times, and... He encouraged me to get our get our second guest our main guest uh that i was going to get at some point but now we are finally presenting him it's thunderbean videos steve stanchfield how are you
1: hi how are you guys good so i'm, I'm sitting in a former ball bearing factory right now um I, I i rent a little office space here and in more recent days uh it's started to actually look like a little office. For, for years, it's just had video equipment all over and like crap all over and everything. And so now we're finally getting the toys on the walls. So I'm excited about that. So, so now when you come to the little tiny Thunderbean office, there's like all these little faces looking at you smiling.
0: So is this always the location for Thunderbean or is you this... You have the green the... hair, Barney? Wait a minute. Is this... <laughs>
1: The green-haired Barney.
0: I told you not to do that. (laughs) I'm talking about Thunderbean,
1: not Barney. (laughs) Oh, I'm dropping toys. It's Barney and Fred. Hey, They've literally been in... Oh, you got Fred, too. Yeah. These guys have been in boxes forever. Oh, I got something. Wait. I know. Sorry, Mark. Okay. (laughs) My my podcast has been sabotaged. Here's the original boxes those were in. Ooh, i've never seen a of the boxes
3: steve
1: yeah yeah because um there was a shot look at that they've got drawings of them on there did you, you have those originally boxes, as steve? a kid uh, no i'm not that old but well, sort not... of actually yes well well what there was a store out here called the blue front yeah. that had um they sh- it, it was a drugstore you know like a like an alcohol you know liquor store but it in the 60s, like right around 61 or 62, the owner decided to take all the toys out of it. It was sort of half toy store, half convenience store back in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. But he took all the toys and put them in boxes in the basement. And he had they all had grease pencil. Gosh. Yeah. They had grease pencil prices all on them. And look at that one was a $1. $1.49. $149. <laughs> for the baby puss <laughs> stuff. But anyway, the, he, he gave the store to his favorite employee. And so yeah. she... Pulled all the toys out and just sold them for whatever price they had, including boxes of Barbies, all brand new. Wow! <laughs> so, I mean, poor Fred isn't worth much, but heck. <laughs> Sorry, I am enthusiastic tonight, though, because it's all right. Very good. But... for you guys. Well,
0: answer my question. Uh, no. Um, oh, so, is oh, that the original my... location of uh, Thunderbean, or is this oh. after years and years of expanding and growing and everything?
1: It's still tiny. I mean, this is this office might be four hundred feet.
0: But is this the original location or did you start your house? No, I mean,
1: it it was in my basement forever. Oh, okay. That's why I was driving it. (laughs) I mean, it was just a little tiny, you know, a little tiny company. And um, now we've got this spot. And then down the hall, there's another. What's funny is there's also a music school in the same building. Mm -hmm. So if I go into the other area, there's somebody practicing drums or piano or something all the time. Hmm. Or or somebody... you know, practicing a riff from some Led Zeppelin tune, <laughs> which I think is pretty, it's pretty funny to hear cashmere like at, you know, at eight at night, like emanating from the walls out here. <laughs> but yeah, Th- Thunderbean is this little tiny entity and it's it's mostly freelance people, you know, working and it's mostly me actually working at home.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the, the office is kind of the uh, dubbing and packing place. And then on occasion we have freelancers working here um, you know, to work on various films or whenever I have a meeting with somebody, we, we come up here, you know, of course, it's way easier than, than dealing with all the barking dogs at home.
0: Right. <laughs> so, um, I was going to ask, um, what prompted you to start Thunderbean? Because I mean, you were working in the industry as far as I know, right? You yeah. work on things like Space Jam and Harvey Birdman and other stuff like that, that I've seen.
1: I, and... I was... <laughs> Yeah. It was working in animation. I I still do here and there, you know, I I still emanate on some things, Mm -hmm. Um, but I've always, I I mean, I started working at a company that did CD-ROM games. Mm -hmm. So this, this sort of dates me. I I started really, I started working professional in 93. So um, I was a little bit of a late bloomer in that way. And, um, and I, I I got so lucky to meet so many other great cartoon people, you know, Mm -hmm. it's funny. uh, Mark, I've heard your name for all of these years, and I think this is the first time we've really talked. To Probably, each other. yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, Jerry mentioned you frequently, and um, and you know, I, I got to know Jerry and and you know, Mark Cosler and Milt Knight, and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and oh gosh, Mike Cazella. Mike Casella is a fascinating person. Mike's from out here, actually. Mm-hmm.
0: But I've um, had them all on the show, except I, haven't, know, I haven't uploaded the Mike Casella one yet. But yeah.
1: <laughs> see, it's like a little tiny. Like, if you think about this whole world, it's this little tiny group of people. And, um, but back in the before, before I was even animating, um, I'd started a little company in high school called Snappy Video. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I've been collecting Super 8 films and 16 millimeter films. And I really wanted, you know, as I started to get some of the stuff, I just wanted to share it more. And I, I started to work with the film co ops and, you know, did film shows of cartoons there and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to figure out how to transfer films and, do that stuff. And at the time when I, when I was in college, I was working for the university of Michigan's uh, film and video library. So I I became the 16 millimeter film inspector there. (laughs) So it was kind of the same world. Um, so, so I really have been doing this, you know, since I was 18, um, and, uh, with, with a pretty, pretty long interruption to actually work in animation and um and so i in 93 i started working at media station on cd-rom games and then went to los angeles worked worked on space jam worked on a few other things um a lot of freelance and you know an animation is such a gypsy job but my my primary career has been working as an animation instructor for the last 22 years uh, at the college for creative studies and so Thunderbean is the side business Thunderbean's the little tiny thing but um, but it's cool because I've been able to get to scan a lot of neat things and oh gosh I I, I have them all I next have, to me. Wait. Sorry, I didn't hear you. Sorry. I have them all next to me right now, ready for this. Oh, cool. It, it, Camden, actually, it's your fault that we uh, updated the Popeye set <laughs> because, because <laughs> you badgered me. You badgered me for like <coughs> you know you send me and I sent you my only copy of the of the old DVD and I said well. Maybe this is worth updating a little bit, you know? <laughs> Yay, me.
0: Now, he gets all of them. I mean, I should get all of them. I buy every one
3: of them. Steve, I'm going to tell you this right now. This is true. Okay, I work at a library part-time. And about half of my spending budget, this includes food and everything, goes to Thunder v Animation.
1: I'm going to, like, feel bad now. <laughs>
3: well, I, do, I live with my parents, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah
1: you know, I did this with with old cartoons. Like the big reel would come, and I would literally spend whatever I earned at Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> I was going I was going directly to buying sixteen millimeter cartoons.
3: Now I have now. I have money saved. Now I have money. Also, saved. I said money out of my spending budget. I have money saved for grad school too.
1: A good idea. Yeah, <laughs> cartoons can't be everything.
3: No, but I bought. I have bought every set that's come out.
1: Oh, that's about. cool! Thank you so much. It really does help. It, yeah. it isn't. It isn't like people are like knocking down the door to buy this stuff, you
0: know. And I will say, I should buy every set. I mean, he's holding up the Betty Boop set, and I go, I
1: don't have that one. <laughs> you know? Mark, I'll send it to you. Just bug me. I'll, oh, I'll I don't want to get them free. I should pay you for them. But, sometimes you sometimes you have to pester me a little bit. Obviously,
0: I do have a few of them, so it's not like I don't. I mean so have no
1: idea what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to have more of the DVD ones. When they switched over to Blu-ray, I wasn't necessarily jumping chomping at the bit to switch to Blu ray with anything. I mean, I do, but you know, and I do have the Blu ray of the Popeye. That's one of the first ones I got because I
1: just love Popeye. So I, I really know. love Popeye too. Yeah. You know, like so the toys that are around, like I've collected some of them, but a lot of it is the stuff that was at my mom's house. My mom never threw out any of my toys. Mm-hmm. So so I've got all my Popeye stuff from when I was a kid. <laughs> it's, it's mostly Humpty Dumpties and Popeye for some reason. Yeah. But I guess that's but, what I liked. I well, it's,
0: it's funny because everybody thought thinks of me, yeah. it, like even Camden, uh, thinks of me as the Harvey guy, you know, and because I've done so much with Harvey comics and everything yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. But my first love was Popeye. And I... It, Still have all my toys from way back when. I lost them for a while because my brother stole them. But when oh. my when my brother grew up and moved out, I went back home and i I took them back. So
1: <laughs> that is so cool. So, I have everything. I think the original <laughs> toys is pretty amazing. Oh, I don't have one.
0: I don't have that one though. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I like that a lot. Give me. Give me, give me.
1: <laughs> have you Have you seen the Jiminy Cricket getting stabbed with the violin? No. I don't know if he's here. He might be at home. Hold on. <laughs>
0: Jiminy Cricket stabbed with a violin.
1: There's a little walkie Jiminy Cricket. Is it a toy? It's a Jiminy Cricket, a Jiminy Cricket walker like that. Oh, oh. he's not here. Oh. No. Yeah, my yeah.
3: ramp, my only ramp walker is this Popeye one. It's not in the best of shape, but it's but for how I found it. I found it for like three dollars at a flea market. So okay. oh, that's
1: perfect. Yeah. But the, the the Jiminy is holding a violin. He's like walking with a violin in front of him. Mm-hmm. And the violin goes through his back. You can see they've just painted it through the middle of his back it's not like under his arm it's a weird wow. carving wow. I like it a lot he's getting stabbed
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you a couple of Popeye things I have since we're talking Popeye um, I have like a little uh, marionette uh, of Popeye it made out of plastic you know granted all this stuff is from like the 70s very that, few stuff from the 60s and earlier is uh, that like a Mattel one I don't know who made it but it's like not very big maybe oh. about a foot high and it has little joints that kind of wiggle around. I have oh, one of those those push button things where you know the the, the, oh, he the on and he bends over and everything when you push the button and kind of dances. Um, I have oh, this is the weirdest thing. You know, kids' toys when you like little baby toys like a rattle and it has like kind of like this yeah. kind of noise. I can't even imitate yeah. it, but uh, so it's like this round stuffed plush body like this it's like blue and it has popeye's head on the top
1: oh i like that, that, that <laughs> and i've, I've had that, that, that
0: since i was a baby you know it's I've, like...
1: I've got that one too and it, <laughs> mine has like a talk box in it but it doesn't work yeah, i don't have that <laughs> one of these days i want to get it fixed because no, i has, have Rick mercer doing the voice in, I, don't I don't have that like it like popeye has popeye like every popeye thing i don't have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, i've actually got a popeye shirt on cool from chester illinois hmm so all yeah. my Popeye shirts are worn out though, honestly. Because yeah. I was wearing normally I'm
0: wearing cartoon shirts, but today I, I'm dressed up. No, it wasn't because yeah. <laughs> it's just I do wear other shirts sometimes. Uh, wow. i'm trying to think of other Popeye stuff. Um I have a lot of Popeye
3: stuff out. What what? You keep talking, I'm just gonna keep pulling stuff out. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I love this old stuff. Um I got to meet uh, one the Carlton comics guy. Uh, I got to meet, uh, and Who's I, that? and I got um, to meet George Wildman, guy. George Wildman. Yeah. Okay. He, he came down a couple of times to uh, Chester, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So have you ever been to the Popeye picnic? No. <laughs> it's been too many years since I have, but Chester, Illinois is, a, is the hometown of Elsie Sager and, uh, the, yeah. uh, the, the family, folks over there are really
3: nice. I've never been over there, but I know the folks there. They're really nice.
1: The the, the pl- places, they, they have a little shop there, which is the opera house that, uh, that Sager actually worked in as a kid. And I, and I found out the pronou- pronunciation is actually Sager rather than Seeger or Cigar, even <laughs> though he has a little cigar there. But the family said that it's always been Sager and always been pronounced that way. <laughs> um, but but anyway, it was, it was funny because uh, um, the... The, the Opera House is sort of a Popeye Museum as well with every imaginable Popeye toy there. And they also have a lot of Popeye merchandise for sale that you can buy online. And the coolest thing is that uh, Mike Brooks, who runs the Popeye Fan Club, has uh, he's he's a programmer, but he's got his website set up like it's the early nineties still. I <laughs> have seen it. it. Literally hasn't changed the whole time. <laughs> like, 30 years of uh, looking like a hypertext link. <laughs> so it's it's pretty fun actually don't yeah. need the
0: wayback machine
1: the only, the only
3: other website i can think about that is steve you've probably seen that the space jam website is still active
1: yeah yeah <laughs> that, that was a hard project to work on i, I was working freelance on it out here when mm-hmm. i was working at a media station and then i ended up working freelance for several studios at the same time mm. and, then, and then when i came out the the oddest thing about working on that film was that, first of all, there was a lot of other people working on it. And at at that point, everybody sort of knew that it wasn't very good. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And so it it became really hard. But being being young, it it really sort of kicked my butt, because, you know, God, everybody drew so well, I was trying so hard (laughs) to just make the drawings look okay. You know, recently, I found a drawing that an in between I'd done that that apparently the Warner store was selling at one point. It's the only time I've ever seen anything I worked on uh, on the film actually show up like <laughs> for sale, mm-hmm. and um, and I, all I could see was all the drawing problems. Just what a bad yeah. what a bad in between it was. Jeez, they didn't fire me.
0: <laughs> they probably it, didn't care. It, I mean, I guess <laughs> I, I hate did. to say it. I mean, there, it, there's a lot of care in that film, but it, it almost. It's, it's really a little funny. slapdash in a certain yeah. respect.
3: Yeah, I remember loving it as a kid, but I'm like, now I just see it as a shoe commercial, really.
1: <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that the, the scene folders that were out here, uh, some of the stuff was coming out of Character Builders, and which was a small studio in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, but they also had a division in Chicago. And that's, that's how we were getting the work, is that that work came through Media Station for a minute. Um, but at any rate, um, some of those scene folders said sneaker commercial on them. So, Ooh. I have a feeling they were trying to keep the project secret, at least at first. Mm-hmm. But we all knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, at, at first I was doing shadow model on the film, and then I was doing um, in between on the film. And right at the end, I even animated a couple of shots. So, but so many people working on the film, when you, when you watch a film like that, you go, there's my, sh-. and I did a little thing there. Yep. And it's like that, you know, you just <laughs> see little clips. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm not I'm not a major player on the film. But then again, you know, 400 people are working on that thing or something. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Back to your films. I mean, well, I guess you worked on that, but uh, back to the ones you're putting out. How do you get the films? What's your secret? I mean, do people send you things. Are you like rummaging through the garbage or or where are you getting your stuff that you put on Thunderbeam
1: videos? People do sometimes send me things, but it's slightly more organized than that. Um, I mean, I know I know a lot of the cartoon collectors, and you know, I've been, gosh, I've been collecting animated films since I was twelve. Jeez. I was collecting in Super 8 at first, and um, you know, there's there's not really any Super 8 on any of the Thunderbean sets, but there's lots of 16 and there's lots of 35 millimeter. Um, so I guess. Th- I mean, the the bigger secret really is it's a curation thing first, is that there's certain things that I've been trying to find forever. And um, so my list of holy grails has been the major inspiration. And then it's just been a matter of figuring out who has it. Um, Usually there's another collector. Sometimes I've found things on eBay. Um, Sometimes I've, usually it's me honestly bugging a few of the super collectors that I know. The people that have lots lots. Tommy tommy's set i had something to do with that
3: <laughs> yeah that's why i have it next to me
1: now you know, i think i think that set came out lovely though it what came out what really nice.
0: what were some of your holy grails
1: oh gosh we'll um, do
0: that first because they're oh, yeah. out now i would assume so.
1: ted ashbaugh's stuff you know for a lot of years that was always my first thing was to try to get the snowman in color to hmm. try to get the wizard of oz cartoon in color
0: Okay, Camden, come on, hold it up. You
1: can. Gotta... <laughs> yeah. That's such a lovely cover, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, St- Stephen De is a brilliant artist. It's just mm-hmm. so good, so so good at kind of capturing the feeling of those films. You know, mm-hmm. um, so so Ish-Bow's work has been high on my list just because. I mean, they exist and they should have been seen. If we can only find Goofy Goat now. Finding, finding, wasn't it on the, um, the Colton set. Yeah, but just black and white. I mean, it's, it's kind of the first American it's the the first released American color sound cartoon sort of, um, it's really from, I mean, it's really from 1930. Um, I works flip the frog cartoon fiddlesticks is really the first American color cartoon, but only sort of, because it was, it was never released here in color. Oh, it was, it was released in England in color. So, but there's but there's two color cartoons in the t- 20s as well. So is, is there a reason why it wasn't released in color here? I, that, that reason still remains unclear. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but MGM didn't certainly didn't want to release it in color. They had the capability of doing it. Mm. Um, I think that probably Pat Powers had trouble getting the backing of one of the color systems. This mm. is this is my guess. Powers wasn't a well liked figure in film. It's sort of amazing that he'd managed to get the deal with Iwerks, but but the deal with Iwerks, you know, I Iwerks was or I'm sorry, Powers was already known a little bit as a, as a difficult character, mm-hmm. you know, because of the various negotiations he had had with Disney where it was well known in the industry that he kind of ripped off Disney. <laughs> so, and I always wonder I always wonder why Iwerks was okay with partnering with him other than him having the backing to be able to do it you know um i I think that powers probably made more money off mickey mouse than any one thing Mm -hmm. you know and i I think that at at one point powers was getting nearly as much of a profit off those films as disney was which is crazy if you think about the fact that a sound system you know disney had signed a really poor contract did powers
0: um, have like the power (laughs) of seduction like maybe that's why artworks was loyal to him only from the standpoint it's like you don't need that walt disney guy you can draw this character so it's like
1: i wish there was more written about him i think i've probably and i'm sure that you have too you have read everything that i could about him and uh the i I mean there's these thoughts that he's a shady business character and i I think that at one point colhane called him a nazi um which is (laughs) I, i don't know if that was figuratively figuratively or literally but um but we do know that powers had worked for you know for cinephone or power cinephone rather was really uh deforest sound system it's almost it's it's because for deforest went bankrupt and um powers basically copied that same design and maybe even used the same equipment it's hard to say but but cinephone was a horrible recording system but okay. <laughs> just the worst
0: now, when they released that Why uh, Works cartoon in color, what what process did they use?
1: It's a it's a British process called Harris color, oh. and uh, it's 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 really I mean it looks just like two color Technicolor really, yeah. you know it, it's sort of a green and sort of a green and red process. Um, there's three surviving prints of Fiddlesticks. Um, there's the color master that's sitting at UCLA, which I was lucky enough to borrow. And, and cleaned, this this is, uh, what, a, what a gorgeous piece of material. But what was interesting about it is that I think the only reason that that exists is because MGM wanted to release Fiddlesticks in black and white, which they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took, um, uh, apparently Harris Color had taken several printings of that film and spliced together the best takes, because this, this Cinecolor or I'm sorry, this Harris color print has splices between nearly every shot. And right. it's a full frame print. What what, uh, um, what MGM did was they du- made a dupe negative off that exact piece of material mm-hmm. and released that in sound. And their, their soundtrack, oddly enough, isn't as good yeah. as the, ble- the other black and white soundtrack that was at UCLA, so. Yeah. The um, the materials on Flip the Frog were in uh, tremendously bad shape sometimes and kind of amazingly good shape in other times. So what a what a strange mix of material. It, certainly those negatives were really abused for a long time.
3: Steve, wasn't there another other Flip the Frog color shorts or am I thinking of Willy Whopper?
1: No, there, there appears to have been three that were actually released in color. <laughs> so, so it looks like Fiddlesticks, Fighting Fists, and Little Orphan Willy. Uh, were all released in color. It's possible that Puddle Pranks was also made in color. It certainly looks like it. Um, uh, the other material doesn't seem to exist. We thought for a little while, a uh, British Film Institute had what they said were color material on, on two of the others. And, um, and it turns out that they were printed on a Kodak stock that had a black and white soundtrack and a tinted uh, picture area. Which is really the weirdest thing, because usually when you see a piece of tinted stock, it's tinted all the way through the stock. But apparently Kodak made the stock this particular way so that the soundtrack would read better. Because when printing a soundtrack in green or red always didn't read as well. So anyway. Now, um, it was Technicolor the
0: first to have three strip or just the first that everybody knows about and Disney got the rights to it for a while?
1: No, I think the Technicolor, I think the Technicolor sort of perfected the process okay. with cartoons, honestly. So and none if, of these
0: others, Harris or Cinecolor, they, were they attempting to do three color or did they just say, ah, eh, two colors enough or Cynicolor did it not even occur to them?
1: Cinecolor was trying over and over. I mean, there's, you know, they, they were definitely experimenting with it. And there's, if you, if you look in, going back and looking at popular science articles, which is an amazing thing you'll see interesting articles about color systems all the time. And there's a few others that seem to be announced that had never you know, really gone much further. Um, the Los Angeles County Library has Technicolor's paperwork. They have, they have all of their papers through 67. So if you wanna go research Technicolor, that is the place to do it. Okay. Um, and it, well, the, the most interesting thing, and you know what I was after, I was, at, I was trying to figure out what happened with Ted Ashbaugh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got really incomplete, honestly, very incomplete information. So you have to you have to make some assumptions as to what had happened at, at that particular shop. But but there's a bunch of things that we do know. Uh, one is that Eshbow actually set up a shop at Technicolor in 1931. So he was actually working in the same location in Los Angeles uh, for Technicolor on the Wizard of Oz film. Mm. It, March of 31 or 32 in March of 32 production appears to have stopped there. So um, March of 32 is when Disney got to Technicolor and signed his deal. I believe it was in late March. Um, So I think, and this is just a supposition, but what happens after that seems to make sense too. But I think that Disney saw their experiments with Technicolor for the Wizard of Oz cartoon and basically held stopped the presses and said, we don't want Ashbaugh to make the first color sound cartoon, right. The full color cartoon. And I think that's why they also, also hastily made flowers and trees into color. Right. It, so that they would just have it out so that, um, but, but they'd signed an exclusive deal. Disney signed that exclusive deal, which prevented anybody else, you know, from making a film in full color. But of course, Wizard of Oz eventually got finished. Um, and Eschbau sued Technicolor, that paperwork is there. Technicolor sued Eschbau, that paper that paperwork is there. The Frank Baum, Frank Baum's estate sued both Technicolor and Eschbau in two separate lawsuits. Um, <laughs> and Bohm also sues the company that really is Technicolor Canada and sued uh, Rank Labs, which is also, which is Technicolor Britain. Hey. So. All three of those organizations worked together to fund the Wizard of Oz cartoon, mm. and um, and it turns out that they had and this is also in in the lawsuits. It turns out they had been licensing the Wizard of Oz characters from the wrong person. <laughs> they were licensing them from Sergeant Frank Baum, who was Frank Baum's cousin. Oh no, maybe his nephew is that right? So he had no real rights to the story. He had some. St- He had some sort of Wizard of Oz rights, but he parlayed that into having the ability to make Wizard of Oz films and he never had those rights. So um, Eschbau specifically sues Technicolor later in 1932 to try to get all the film rights back. He's trying to get the film, he's trying to get everything that he made back as well as the right to finish the film in Canada, Technicolor Canada, it's weird but um <laughs> but the but the paperwork is so incomplete it's but it's so it's such an important historical moment that you'd hope that there was more there and there just isn't at least that I, not that I found and I've gone through I've gone through 31 and 32 entirely and it's it's incredibly boring paperwork except for those things that I was talking about
0: well is it all in one location or is
1: yeah, yeah it's all in boxes oh, okay at,
0: okay
1: at LA County library will pull it, they'll pull it for you hmm. So then they were super nice. I just walked in there and they pulled the boxes. <laughs> so they were super nice. It, it took me two trips to go through everything. That's what we librarians do. Yay. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they love this stuff. And so I was getting excited about certain things. Technicolor's got a weird, and my request is still, I have one page Xeroxed out of all of that. But Technicolor doesn't allow people to Xerox. as for reference only. Mm-hmm. so you can't reproduce it without exclusive you know permission from Color. Yeah. there's there's lots of lawsuits in there by the way wow. um in fact i would say not quite half of the paperwork but a lot of the, a lot of their paperwork is lawsuits stopping another company from using a similar process yeah. so they were they were well guarded in terms of what they were you know what they were trying to do so when, when you suggested you know whether anybody else doing three strip collar they were, they were trying to prevent anyone from doing ambition printing, you nice. know, the, the process, even though they weren't even the first to come up with that idea. Brewster right. Color had already somewhat perfected that idea, and, and yeah. certainly Cinecolor had been around before Technicolor. Right. So they had, um, in the 20s, they had already started some of those ideas.
3: Yeah. I have yeah. a, a different question, by the way, about when we are talking about restoring films like this. Yeah. Is it harder to restore animated films and live action stuff?
1: You know, I, w- I was at a conference in um, the, uh, in Baltimore that Grover Crisp had put together, which was all archivists, and um, I attempted to give a paper on why animated films are harder to restore than live action films, and um, and it was it was it was met. It, it everyone was cordial and nice, but Grover afterwards said, you, you know, or maybe one one of his colleagues said you know, no, no, I mean, all of these things are, are equally hard to do. And I, th- I think it's true, there's just specific <laughs> different kind of thing. And, and certainly someone as, as uh, experienced as Grover would know, you know, <laughs> he's got, gone through so much material. The, the reason that animated films are harder in a digital process is often animation is on ones and uh, any kind of automatic process, it will erase pieces of the character, you know, thinking that it's dirt because it looks for reference for, from each frame. And if something stays the same for two frames, it won't mess with it. Almost every digital, uh, if you're looking at Diamond or, um, or uh, Resolve or PF Clean, any of the, any of the software packages, mm-hmm. will kind of leave it alone if it's on twos, but as soon as it's on ones. So you see a lot of TV animation where mouths are on ones and they're getting erased, but everything yeah. else is perfect. Right. I Before
3: was talking so, to several people and I think you mentioned this once in the Thunder Bean Steve. that I don't understand the obsessiveness right now of people, random people thinking they can restore film by just scanning them.
1: It's, it's a new thing, but it's, it's sort of, it's sort of the fault of the small little group that's been scanning things and putting things up. So I, I have to take some blame for this, honestly, <laughs> because I've, I've talked about it a lot, you know, and I, I, I like the idea that there's small entities doing these things. So I'm, I'm, I'm not against people doing that. It's but by just scanning a film, you're not restoring it really. Right. You know, it's kind of nice that people are starting to use some restoration software to fix things up too. But now to me, the real thing to do, I mean, if we're going to do this properly, it's to try to find the best material or work with a master material if it exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's a copyrighted film to get the rights, if before you're just, you know, yeah, I know, I know who stuff. you're referring to right now. I, I mean, I do a lot of public, I do a lot of public domain stuff. Yeah. You know, I do some licensed things, you know, Flip the Frog and um, Willy Whopper are licensed and the Comic Colors are licensed, even though they're public domain. We're, we're going back to the negatives on those, which is, God, that stuff is cool, by the way. I, <laughs> I just wasn't wound on these little spindles, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so, so no, I, I, I appreciate that people are doing things and because I see it as a conduit to them doing it professionally. So, but we're in this weird period right now where there's, I I like to call it the cartoon wars right now, (laughs) where there's sort of these different factions like complaining about this group or that group. And quite honestly, have at it, you guys fix things up, make things beautiful. Um, I don't, I I, I think it's kind of safe to say that I was one of the first people to really start trying to do cartoon sets kind of quality and re- followed really closely by tommy Stathis, and um and i had a big hand in trying to help him get his uh organization going and he's done a he's done a fantastic job of curating and getting these films seen getting these films on turner classic movies you know mm-hmm. uh, keeping the faith in doing cartoon shows in new york on a continual basis i i, I dig it um yeah, his sets are like totally unique though too
3: because yeah. I was telling so. Steve, I consider his Bray Studios set probably one of the best
1: Blu-rays ever produced. It's, it's a good set. Yeah, you know, I, I love this stuff, honestly. Um, and I'm glad that it's happening because I- each one of these kinds of things takes a champion. So uh, um, my, my thought is that the wars should stop entirely. Let people do what they're doing. Um, and, it, and if it leads to something, it leads to something perfect. You know, I, I think the, uh, none of these voices are competing with each other. And if, if you also, if you want to really get something done right now in this as an industry, go for it. You know, it's, it's worth trying to make those connections and trying to get things going. Every one of us has pursued lots of things with dead ends mm-hmm. and, and continue to try. So um, the more people that are trying the better of a chance that these things actually get restored. It's, it's just amazing that we can't see, you know, all the Columbia cartoons from the negatives. They're sitting right there. You know, it's, a, it's amazing we can't see the Terry tunes, you know, all from the next, they should. Honestly, they, it should have happened by now. So, I, I mean, this is my view, this is my personal view. Um, I just think that if, if anything, there needs to be a period of understanding and a period where people are cool with each other and people are helping each other and nobody is trying to bash each other. No mm-hmm. one's trying to take somebody else's contacts or try to beat somebody to the punch on something. Because, honest, honestly, we all love this stuff. So, sure. it makes sense to me to have the best people and inexperienced people doing the final work for sure. But uh, you know, I, I bring in freelancers all the time and have them learn a lot of the uh, the software, the restoration software, and stuff. But is there a
0: competitiveness in this regard, like? If you're working on a flip the frog, I'll use that as an example, and there isn't any other collections, and then somebody else, independently of you, is also working on a flip the frog, is that going to be like butting heads saying, no, my set first, no, my set first, mine's going to look better, mine's looking better, I got the color one, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah." It really hasn't come to that yet, but there's been this, there's been a little bit of that sort of thing, and I know those folks, and I actually like people on both of those factions, and I just don't think that there needs to be, they're probably going to watch this by the way, yeah. but I just don't think that it needs, there needs to be. Well, I don't I mean, want to name
0: names. I'm just kind of curious yeah. because it's like, it, it's, you know, like when I work on books, I'll use my own situation. You know, I always double check to make sure nobody's working on a book, like about cracked magazine or something, because yeah. if somebody else is working on one, well, either I want to work with them or I don't want to do it at all because they're already doing the work. And it's like, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. But
1: especially especially if it's happening in the same period right so to me gosh it, i mean if you've already been going down a road and working on it and then someone comes along and says well i'm going to try to scan all of these films now because i know you're doing it that's <laughs> stupid it isn't like there's that it's yeah. a small it's a tiny market for this yeah. stuff
0: I guess a good example, and it's in the background on your thing, and you put it out uh, Gulliver's Travels. I mean, there's like a zillion different versions. Hold that one up. Uh, you know, and it's like, how did you manage to get the pristine version that's considered the top notch Blu
1: ray? Isn't that funny that that happened? <laughs> I don't, So, you tell but, me. Well, <laughs> well, so, a lot of years ago, uh, you, you know, Kit Parker used to rent out a 35 on Gulliver. And a lot of years ago, I'd, I'd been, I was in Plymouth, Michigan, and there was a theater, the Penn Theater in Plymouth, Michigan, was running Gulliver's Travels on a Saturday. And uh, I was, I, I wasn't there to see Gulliver's Travels, but I, it's like ha- halfway through the film, and I went in, you know, and I, I bought a, a ticket, which they were confused about, because it's halfway through the darn film. And I walked in, and j- I must have been 20. And I looked, and I'm like, I'm like, holy smoke, they have a 35 IB on this film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and it's like they're renting 35 IB and you could for for hundred bucks you can rent 35 ib and so in the back of my mind I'd always thought about you know I'd love to get that someday um Jerry um, had been working with TCM to try to get Gulliver on to turn to classic movies and um, after after that af- after he said we need to find the best print possible I started on a hunt and just bugging collectors to see who had a 35 on it um, and it turned, and I found a 35 on it. I bought a 35 on it. Um, but by that point, it was too late and they'd already scanned a 16 and it was already set for broadcast. So they ran a 16. Sure. But but now I had this 35 and now I was scanning that 35. And then I found several other 35s to scan to get pieces that might be a splice here or there. And um, and I showed the raw scan. You know, there, There's a forum called the uh, Golden Age Cartoons Forum. And... Um, and those folks, uh, it was—it's now the Internet Animation Database. It's basically the same folks, right. um, but they played a large hand in sort of cheering me on, trying to do this. And um, I'd done a, a, like a, a little special disc of of uh, this raw scan of Gulliver, and I and I showed it to folks at CinEvent. I'm giving you the exact how this exact thing happened, and so I showed it to folks at CinEvent and. John McElwee, who runs a Greenbrier Picture Shows, said, you should do this. You should figure out how to restore film. You should figure out, because I've been doing the DVDs, and we, we did a little bit of film cleanup, but very primitive comparatively. And so John, who's a saint, said, I'll help fund this a little bit. And so he angeled some money toward the project, and it was enough to buy me a license for some of the restoration software. And um, I started cleaning the darn thing up. And so a year later, I had a cleaned up version of Gulliver,
0: hey.
1: and, um, and that's what you see. That's my first attempt at cleaning up film, and man, it looked bad at first, because hey. the first thing <laughs> that I discovered is that the software hated me and, hey. and wanted to destroy the film as well, and it was destroying film grain and everything, and then I started to figure out that you could actually adjust these things pretty well. So it took me a little while to figure out what the, what the sweet spot was to do auto passes, to do de-spotting, to do steadying, all of those things.
3: Steve, I find this a lot when I'm toy collecting or book shopping or something. Do you ever find yourself haunted by Murphy's Law when doing this? By like, you know, immediately when you find something, you find something easy, you find it again easier. And you're like, well, I just needed this. So Flip the Frog.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's 38 Flip the Frog cartoons. a lot of it comes from UCLA's masters, uh, and a lot of it doesn't. And the, and there's all but one film is in 35 millimeter. There's very few collectors that have 35s on flips. Lots of collectors though that have the original title sequences. Lots of bad copies of those original title sequences. So, so Flip has been a continual seven years of this man, <laughs> trying to find a better version of this or that. And then this showed up and then this showed up at, at one point in, in private hands the um the uh fine grain on funny face with the original title showed up mm. it's you know how did the fine grain end up in someone's hand it's not at ucla mm. anyway so fortunately i've been able to scan the best material from every film and village barber or i'm sorry village specialist was right at the tail end of the list and i and i was borrowing from a foreign archive from a from an archive in in europe and um and they kept sending me the village barber. So there were prints there of the village barber that had village specialist titles on them, you know, the foreign yeah. titles. But but then Serge Brumberg, who's, you know, I'm licensing the project from Serge now, it was David Shepard originally. Um but then Serge said, "Hey, we're scanning village specialist for you." And they scanned two of the best prints of that film I've ever seen in my life. And, and you so- had already
3: and you, had you already scanned and prepared to restore the other films. Oh, we had finished
1: yeah we oh that's 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 just a that's just a bummer yeah <laughs> right away oh yeah well we've got we've got over 40 grand into flip at this point so flip has kicked my butt and as a little tiny company that's a bunch of money for us yeah you know over over years and years and you yeah i mean because we were shipping nitrate back and forth originally and you know now blackhawk actually has scanners in in burbank so we can scan stuff there um the there was a time I, w- I went to something called Mostly Lost that Serge was at, which is a was an amazing thing that happened at Library of Congress where they show a lot of lost films and it's all archivists and things. And when I said goodbye to um, to Serge there, at one point he turned around and he said, "You need to make those soundtracks better." And as he's walking away, he's walking back into the auditorium, and I, I just see the back of him saying, uh, "Like this, he's going, he's going. You'll have to hear the musicians breathe." <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of the soundtracks uh, got rescanned because his equipment was better. And Serge really is a sound specialist. Like, really? God, you wouldn't believe how nice those soundtracks sound.
3: Steve, so, can I ask, Mark, can I ask Steve
0: a nerdy question right now? Sure. <laughs> dirty? Nerdy. Nerdy. No. Okay. Oh, ner- I thought I heard dirty also. <laughs> nerdy. I <said> nerdy.
3: <laughs> Steve, I have to tell you right now, these... I think these commentaries on this might be the funniest commentaries I've ever watched on a single Blu-ray.
1: I think so too. I think I, so. Too. I,
3: I don't know why, but I could watch that commentary for the Mr. E and Tao City a hundred times. I would probably laugh.
1: Is it is it like the whole group of people? It's like Mike Cazella and me and uh and yeah, Milton and, and Milt and yeah, Milt Milts a gem in commentaries. He's so funny. Yeah. By by the way, the flip set has more commentaries on it than any set I've ever done. Oh wow, (laughs) that's really going some because at at one point Eric Goldberg, you know, really took over the Snafu set and did a a ton of commentaries, and they're all fun. Like if you watch that set, he's got something to say about every film. Hmm. Yeah, I love Eric. Eric
3: drew me a picture. I showed Mark one time of Eric. I was at a Chuck Jones event, and Eric drew me this picture of Bullwinkle, Fred Flintstone, Yogi Bear, and and Bugs Bunny watching me on TV. And I walked, out, I walked out of there and someone says, who's that on TV? And I said, that's me. He says, oh, you look like a terrorist.
1: <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that's scary. I'm like, I'm like, well, thanks, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, like, so I don't even remember what the question was at this point, but it was where, where do you find this stuff? I know it was there somewhere. Yeah. But, but yeah getting
0: but then it evolved into the restoration of gulliver's travels which i was curious yeah. about Gull- and it was uh... so
1: much fun to do though just because i, I love the film and you then... know, and i saw the film in black and white on on wgpr again which was a a black owned tiny station in detroit hmm. and so they ran gulliver's travels all the time and they ran mr bug all the time yeah a lot but usually at two or three in the morning and so remember tv guide when you'd go in tv guide and find the films. I'd see Gulliver and I'd circle it, and it was on <laughs> my calendar. it, it, right. it is it like was 2.30 in the morning, I was up. <laughs> you know? now,
0: I, th- I think when you were on Stu's show, you did touch upon uh, Mr. Bug Comes to Town, or yeah. Hoppity, if you prefer. Um, I like saying Mr. Bug since it's Mr. Deeds, you know, but I that's do me. Do,
2: yeah.
0: um, but uh, What's the story on Gulliver versus that? Because Gulliver seems to be everywhere. Is it truly public domain, and the other yeah. one is not? Is that the real yeah. story of it?
1: Gulliver's copyright definitely lapsed. Um, okay. Hoppity is in this odd. First of all, copy, Hoppity is copyrighted. Mr. Bug is copyrighted, but okay. it's in this it's in this odd gray area because the first the first release with the Hoppity Goes to Town title was in Britain, and it's the original release in Britain with hoppity as the title and no copyright so um people have made the assumption that the film is public domain but it's not and of course there's the underlying music rights and and that stuff as well which also exists on gulliver and i did i did get the i did get back when it was famous music got the right to use the popeye the sailor theme and with with gulliver i licensed it's a hap hap happy day just to make them happy because i thought i thought okay uh, even though none of the other public domain sets do this um i thought okay well if i make if i make the paramount gods at least semi-happy then <laughs> I have, i've at least done done my duty um that's what
3: always it, it, like astounds me that arnold arnie lebowit was able to do that puppetoon set
1: yeah he's he's pulled some magical strings mm-hmm. I, I got to work on that that set a lot the the puppetoons too and those were so much fun to work with, but, but man, we went through all kinds of technical mumbo jumbo on that. <laughs> I, I can't even I, I I can't even explain, but there was a lot of there were a lot of issues trying to make that stuff look good. Um, so, in the end, I think it looks like a pretty good set though.
0: Mm-hmm. So back yeah. to Hoppity for a second. Is there a Hoppity set in our future from you or is that just not off on the books because it's um, in copyright?
1: I don't well no, I I actually <laughs> I had a deal with Paramount actually. Yeah. So this is the this is the thing that stinks about this as an industry, is I'm I'm this little tiny guy, but Paramount was willing to license it to me, and we got through everything, and actually even signed a contract, mm. um, and then the business office wanted the residuals up front, and I just mm. couldn't do it. I just didn't have enough to do it. You mm. know. N- now apparently they're even more difficult to deal with. But who knows? We might get to a point, and I'm hoping sooner than later we might get to a point where those companies are actually. More amenable to uh, larger things, and and who knows, maybe even one of these tiny companies, you know, heck, someone like um, Kino or Classic Flix or somebody might be able to eventually license stuff from Paramount and or. I I or still want to see Terry's. Isn't that owned by Paramount too? Yeah, 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 and and Viacom and all the stuff that Viacom has. Just you know, always
0: boggles my mind that all these companies don't even know what they own, you know, well, or don't care—one of the two or both.
1: Well, I think they, they figure that people would have been bashing the doors down already if they were really valuable. And um, Jerry's made this argument over and over, but even, even more passionate than I could. But Jerry will say, but you own these things. You, yeah. you, you own these. You can do it. This is ready to go. I mean, yeah. I, and he's right. I mean, yeah. he's right. But quite honestly, <laughs> they don't care that much and they've never cared. If, yeah. if it was to make a lot of money for them, they would care a lot.
0: Well, the odd part, and you know this, Steve, is, and Camden just listened, <laughs> when we were kids, all those cartoons are like omnipresent. You always saw yeah. Tunes all the time. You yeah. know, they weren't pristine prints, per se. They might have been faded. They might have had little cuts here and there. But I mean, at least they were on all the time. Now generations have gone by and nobody's ever seen them. So nobody knows who Mighty Mouse is anymore. Nobody knows any of those characters. So...
1: By the, by the time we were growing up, the black and white cartoons were basically off television, yeah. except for Popeye. I mean, yeah. the Popeye's were still on, but the boops hadn't been on in years and years. Yeah. So certainly the Van Buren cartoons or any of the Columbia cartoons hadn't been on.
0: Well, I even told Camden this in another episode, you know, where we're talking about uh, Popeye's. It's like, uh, I'm sure you've seen Leslie Cabarge's Fleischer Story book. And yeah. it says, um, yeah, it. If, 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 if your Popeye cartoon doesn't have these ship doors... Don't, Don't watch, watch it. it. You know, it's like, um, I never saw those. Uh, now, for a brief time when I was living in L.A. as a kid, uh, KTLA had a Popeye show uh, hosted by Tom Hatton. He hosted it for like 40 years or something. They did show some of the Fleishers there, but everywhere else I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, It was like, except for say, I love Lucy, black and white was like verboten. And so I never saw
1: black and white Popeye's forever. So, so when I was a kid, the AAP package in Detroit on, on channel 50 specifically, they would run and and for, for over 10 years, they would run a, a color Popeye at the beginning of the show, two black and whites in the middle and a color one in the end. And they would generally cut the two color ones in half so it would start with color and then cut halfway through the cartoon after the titles yeah. and run that and i'd run home from lunch my you know back in grade school my grade school was a block away i'd run mm-hmm. home for lunch and watch popeye every day and mm-hmm. i'd see the and i'd see the black and white cartoons maybe it was two black and, two black and whites in the middle
0: yeah.
1: and so i got to see those cartoons over and over and they were easily my favorite cartoons i could sing along with all the songs and everything but uh, after a while, I started to have friends run home with me, just because my house was only a block away, and a lot of people were bust into the <laughs> neighborhood. Can
0: watch Popeye at lunch, all right. <laughs> my, mom
1: would, my mom would make grilled cheese a lot. So grilled, grilled cheese has a Popeye association for me for some reason.
3: So Steve, I have a story to tell you. So I think I've told this story to you before, I don't, I don't know if I have, but you. but at one time, you know how at one time, like even like thrift stores or wherever would start making tapes of cartoons, their own tapes of cartoons and start selling them? Thrift stores would make the
1: tapes? Or just convenience stores would make tapes or whatever? Well, there, were, there were a whole handful of little companies that made those things. Um, yeah, well. Actually, actually, oddly enough, Tommy Stath is just sort of an expert on yeah. all companies making those VHS tapes. They would reslit computer tapes, some of those. Yeah. Things.
3: One of one time when I was little, and I swear this is true because I remember this vividly. I went to some store and I bought a Popeye tape, and the store had made this tape. I swear. <laughs> this. Wow. And the store made the tape, and so it was just a Popeye the movie part one. I had not seen the Robin Williams one, and I was just a little kid, so I'm like, oh, this must be this. And no, it was Sinbad. The first wow. seven minutes of Sinbad
1: just the first oh, seven funny. minutes just the first seven minutes that's it i think this was a parents approved tape There's yes one of, that, one might of be the, that 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 company i think is gosh i don't know if that one's in new jersey or not it seemed like a lot of them were in new jersey
0: hmm.
1: but
3: it was just the first seven minutes and at the very end it just said buy tape two to see the part two and i'm like
0: "Wow, it's great and i'm like
3: thank god i have the internet let's just <laughs> start this up
0: right now I never saw ones that bad. I mean, most of the cartoon tapes I remember had like three or four cartoons. And uh, the, the label I remember is Cartoons Are Us or Cartoons Are Fun. With cartoons bar, Are Fun, you know, yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, then, I love the
3: 50 and, greatest cartoons with, yeah. with all the Well, I used to buy domain. those
0: things because it was like it was the only way you could get a, like a big bunch of cartoons. They were usually in horrible shape, but at least you you got a whole bunch of
1: cartoons kids classics was one of the first to start doing that kids classics had public domain cartoons and then they also were making wrestling tapes at the same time good times home video was that company so they were one of the first that i saw doing them there are a few other companies and they'd they'd always be the worst packages you know and i I remember working at kmart when i was in high school and they'd started to get these things in and the first (laughs) versions of those tapes were like ten dollars each yeah and so i was earning 335 an hour so I'd buy that I worked at Chuck E. Cheese and then I worked at Kmart and then I worked for another place called Cottage Inn Pizza that's my (laughs) high school experience
0: (laughs) so you're just like Camden buying all the tapes buying
1: all the yeah just whatever job I had the difference is I'm
3: saving up for college for grad school too
0: I'm glad that you're saving up this is an excellent idea (laughs) save up what's that (laughs) I did go to college though but I didn't go to grad school
1: so. so I went to college a little bit yeah Yeah. emanation was calling me the whole time (laughs) i'm glad glad i didn't decide to go just the route of making videos i I would have been really broke then
0: at least you made a career out of it that's the good thing i mean if you you know just spend all the time and nothing to show for it well
1: (laughs) the coolest things is that i've got a whole bunch of former students that are working in animation and i love that (laughs) you know are populating all the studios now so the uh the reward of it, not not only in Los Angeles, but in New York and Georgia, and even out here in Michigan, oddly enough, and the the ad market for animation has changed because of the folks coming out of the College for Creative Studies. So I'm mm-hmm. super happy about that. Um, it's really fun to influence character animators and to show them the stuff that you felt like they should have seen. Like there's a lot of really necessary viewing to me, and even then, you know, gosh, I still haven't seen every Columbia cartoon. Maybe one of these days I will. You know, I've seen every Van Buren cartoon at this point. I've seen all the Disney cartoons at this point. But I still haven't seen all the Warner Brothers cartoons either. So,
3: I I have to ask you a quick question, Steve. I read Hal Erickson. I never read it. Uh, I have so many books on my shelf I haven't read. I'm just a slow reader. But I've looked at, I've seen, skimmed and read parts of Hal Erickson's Van Buren book. Mm -hmm. I never knew there was a live action part of that studio until I I, I saw that book. They're they're are a tiny little entity, but they sure did a lot of stuff, you know. They had 875 <laughs> live action stuff, so like I'm like, and I'm like, holy shit!
1: See, the cartoons were just part of the factory, you know? Yeah. Okay.
3: So because I didn't know any of that, and I'm wondering if like ever, if any of, does any does 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 a lot of that stuff
1: still exist? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I'm sure that there's lost films. I, I don't, I'm not any kind of expert on the Van Buren you know, live action films, but certainly most of it exists. So. seems
0: like every studio dabbled in some live action, if not a little bit, a lot, yeah. of course. <laughs> because well, even the Warner Brothers, isn't there the spoonie melodies or something that, that they were actually live there's action? That. There's
3: before. the there's the monkeys one, which is my favorite. Yeah.
0: And then uh, uh, Fleischer of course did bouncing ball cartoons with the musicians of the day and yeah. stuff like that. So I mean Didn't so Fleischer
3: wasn't Fleischer the one who did that Betty Boop?
1: um See, um there's a there's a rudy ellie um, short that paramount made yeah, yeah with the, that has Mae Questel in it didn't Does the fleischer, fleischer do, do that though i don't think the fleischers did but i think max fleischer shows up in one of them doesn't he hmm. i think i'm not sure they all done in new york though for sure
0: yeah of course you know there's that uh oft repeated and i think you've released it uh uh, just a little documentary that's like five ten minutes long, just about Fleischer in, in Miami and stuff yeah, like that. You yeah, know? the
1: popular science one. Yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah, I it. don't know if Fleischer made that themselves uh, or no. That's they... no, no, Paramount made it. Okay, but well, it's,
1: it's Jerry, it's Jerry Fairbanks Productions, really. Okay, got it. Okay. But, um, that that's interesting. I, I that's a public domain short, but I've licensed it from Shields Pictures. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's the thing that made that set sort of semi expensive to make. Yeah. Hmm. otherwise that was a cheap set (laughs) (laughs) but we had done a ton of bonus features for the dvd and i'm so thankful that we did because i I managed to get involved with the uh with the warner brothers project that way Mm -hmm. so I was lucky enough to work on that and work on the bonus features for that and suddenly they put me in front of a camera and i didn't expect that to happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that was fun
0: so Camden hold up the Betty Boop one. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, you have the Betty Boop one, you're trying to follow the all of film
1: releases yeah. and everything. Um yeah. this wasn't I, supposed to be an official set. It was only okay. going to be one of the little special sets that we do. Okay. So like the films aren't all cleaned up, some of them are cleaned up, but most aren't, but well okay. what it started to happen is we'd we'd managed this is this is David Gerstein's uh doing. But Gerstein managed to find Honest Love and True at at a European archive and And uh, Serge uh, Brumberg, you know, scanned it for us, but somehow somebody swiped it. Somebody working for Serge swiped it and they sold it to television. Mm -hmm. And so a bootleg of it started showing up. So we, we finally, as the boot, every week, a new bootleg was showing up that we tried to take down from YouTube. And so finally we got it cleaned up enough. We, we did clean up that one. And we, so we got it fixed up. And finally I said, well, we just got to release the darn thing before there's a million more bootlegs out there of it. Right. So because we wanted to get Honest Love and True Scene, you know. So are there more Betty Boop sets coming then? Uh, yeah. Well, part of the reason that it's only a BDR, it's a, you know, it's a burned Blu-ray. I didn't want to do a replicated set that didn't have everything all cleaned up. And oh, okay. plus, plus a lot of it's 16 millimeter. I'm hoping that someday we could license those films. I or maybe somebody will and put them out in pristine copies. Mm-hmm. So I Why should they not want
3: to go for the public domain stuff?
1: God, that, that's a question for the ages. Um, I, I've, I've heard two stories on this. I've heard that Olive didn't want to do it, but it, but it also there seems just from talking to folks at, at Paramount Archives years back now, um, there seems to be some reluctance to put out something that's public domain because then everybody will bootleg it and they've spent the money to do it. Okay. So that's a fair maybe, reason. I understand that sort of, but. Yeah. Why not just put out the best version and people boot like it? Whatever.
0: Thank you for listening, and thank you, Steve Stanchfield and Camden Spees, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 180 with part two of this interview will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew, the Slow Poisoner, Goldfarb, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.